Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Welcome to the fifth season of Heart to Heart with Anna. Our theme this season is Miracles Do Happen, and we have a great story today. There are hundreds of thousands of children awaiting adoption around the world. In the United States alone, according to the Adopt America Network, there are 130,000 children in the United States foster care system waiting to be adopted. Children are awaiting adoption for many reasons. Children with medical issues can be more difficult to place with adoptive families. While adopting a child with special medical needs can be frightening, it can also be the answer to prayer. Adoptive parents have a chance to make a miracle happen, but one of the most amazing things to witness is how much joy the adopted child can bring to a special family. Today's show will feature an adoptive mother who, along with her supportive husband, decided to adopt a child with a congenital heart defect. Miracles have been witnessed more than once since Becky and Joe adopted little Tess. Our show today, The Miracles of Adopting a Child with a Heart Defect, will feature heart mom Becky Katarkis. Becky Katarkis is the mom of 10 children, all through adoption, ranging in age from 13 years to 2 years. She is a pediatric master's prepared nurse and small business owner. Becky never set out to be a mom of a size XL family. She and her high school sweetheart husband Joe both feel so incredibly lucky to have the privilege of raising their children. They both volunteer within the adoption community, helping prospective adoptive parents understand the beautiful brokenness of adoption. Their hope is to better prepare parents for what they didn't know as they traveled this long and winding road over the last decade. It is also their hope to shine a spotlight on the amazing children who still wait to find their family. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Becky. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I've had a show where we talked with women born with a heart defect who became mothers through adoption, but we haven't talked about the opportunity people have to adopt a child with a congenital heart defect. What made you decide to adopt a child with special needs? I don't think that we ever set out specifically when we were waiting to adopt to saying, oh, we're going to go into this looking for a particular child, a particular need, a particular age, a particular gender. We just always looked at the child first, which is different Mm -hmm. than some of the roads people travel. But specifically with Tess, she was just Tess, and that was great. Mm -hmm. And she happened to have a congenital heart defect. And at the time, we didn't know anything about her specific heart defect or how it would change our lives or what it meant for her. We just knew we saw her and we wanted her to be part of our family. And so to us, her heart defect didn't define her in any way. We just felt so privileged to be allowed the opportunity to be her mom and dad that we would tackle that as it came. It didn't make a difference. That is so special. I love that. And I love it when people say they don't let the heart defect define the child that the child defines the child. So tell us how you found Tess. So Tess was considered, because of her congenital heart defect, what is referred to in the adoption community as a waiting child, meaning that she wasn't matched specifically with a family when her file became available for adoption, when it was prepared. And Tess specifically is from China. 
So China maintains a wait list of children, mostly with special needs. Some of them have the special need of just being older at the time of referral, and that's their need. And some families pre-match with children, meaning they say, well, this is the need that I specifically feel. I have the resources to parent. And when that file becomes available, an adoption agency then matches the child and family. In Tessa's case, as a waiting child, she didn't have a match right away. Her needs were considered more severe because her congenital heart defect was so significant. So Tess was just a little two-by-two-inch picture in a file on a waiting child list on the adoption agency's password-protected site. And I just was researching China adoption because she's our first child from China. And I found this tiny little picture of Tess with the tiny little description of what her heart defect was. And it was over for us. From there, we just, we loved her. The second we saw that picture, that tiny little picture, we just knew. This is our girl. Do you have a copy of that picture? Oh, my gosh, always. In fact, it still hangs near my dresser, that tiny little referral picture, as a reminder of how far (laughs) she's come and how far we went to bring her home. Yeah. So what do parents considering adopting a special needs child need to take into consideration, especially if they have a child that's a waiting child? I'm sure they have special considerations. Yeah, yes. There are so many things to think about, and I think I could go on and on <laughs> for forever about what you should consider before you take this leap. With any child with a medical need, I always tell families, you'll want to look at the resources in your community first and reach out and talk to the medical providers in your community. One thing we learned was we're going to have to travel a little bit of a distance to get Tess the heart care that she needs. We just didn't have that heart center in our home city. So we have to go about 90 minutes to get to the heart center. Not terrible. Some people travel much, much further than that for care. But it's something that kind of surprised us when we adopted her. Oh, my goodness. We hadn't really done the legwork to say, what are our medical resources in this community? Where are we going to get her care? So I always tell families, make sure you reach out to the physicians who are going to be caring for your child with their special need, with their medical need, with their developmental need, and you know where you're going to go, who's going to help you out, those kind of things. Then there's always the emotional need that comes just with being adopted, too. You've likely lived for a while with the birth family, without your birth family, the transition for these kids just is so much. So just like you've looked at the medical side of things, I always tell families, make sure you've got that really good village of support in in terms of emotional needs too. Those therapists, social workers, birth to three, the school district helping you with therapies, you'll need all that. You'll need that mm-hmm. support system. Yeah, that's excellent. That's such excellent advice and not necessarily something that you would think about, especially if you're adopting a baby. And yet, we know that babies who have congenital heart defects or who have other special needs may qualify for an early childhood program. So it's important to know what resources you do have available. Absolutely. What other kind of emotional resources do children need? Do most children like this need some kind of counseling? It depends on the individual child. Every kid is going to respond to their beginnings in a different way. So we always look at our 
child as an individual and try to take it kind of one day, one step at a time. And we never preclude, okay, because they're doing great right now, they'll never need that in the future. Every child who is adopted grapples with it differently at different points in their life. So while it might not be an issue during the beginnings, even if you were adopted as a baby, maybe when the teen years come, it is something that you have to draw on some of those emotional resources that we mentioned to help with for a little while. And there's mm-hmm. there's no shame in it. No family has to feel like, oh, my gosh, I failed because they need this. Every kid is different. So right. I'm pretty open about how much we reach out and how many resources we utilize for our kids at different points in their mm-hmm. growth and development. Mm-hmm. When I was doing some research about adoption, I was interested to see how many of the different adoption agencies that are listed on the Internet talk about open adoption, adoption where the adoptive family can still keep in touch with the birth family and send photos or updates and how there are some that are closed with contracts, without contracts. I have no idea how complicated it could be, although I've had a couple of friends who were adopted. And just like you said, they told me that in their early formative years, their mom was their adoptive mom because they were adopted early and that it wasn't until they became a teenager and beyond, especially when they started to have their own children, that they really wanted to know more about their birth mother. And that was when they felt the need to reach out. So I think your idea to assess them pretty much on an ongoing basis and to see, and I guess probably when they start asking questions and when they start wanting that information, those are the signals to you and to Joe that, hmm, (laughs) maybe we need to reach out to some of those resources. Is that the way it goes for you? Yeah, and it's, it's just something they're being adopted that again, does not define them. It's not all of who they are, but it's something that has always been discussed with them. Nothing is ever a surprise in our house when it comes to adoption because it's always been part of their story. So there's no great reveal about, oh, well, we're going to sit down and talk to you about how you're adopted. It's always just part of who they are. So even when we're reading storybooks to them as kids, adopted children are in the storybooks. We make sure that they have connections with other kids who came from their birth country or adopted like they are, live in adoptive families. It's just such a normal thing for them that there isn't really a whole lot of hesitation in discussing it. And we do have, Mm -hmm. we are firm believers in maintaining as much as a birth family can and wants to have contact with our children. Their relationship, as long as it's great for both our kids and the birth family is totally open. We maintain ongoing communication. We're all part of each other's lives. And I think that's really important and different from how it was when kids my age, in their 30s even, were, mm-hmm. were growing up. It's a right, change right. for sure. Oh, yeah. It seemed like it used to be a big secret until all of a sudden at a certain age the parents would tell the children. But, you know, the funny thing is I think most teenagers go through a point where they wonder if they're adopted, even if they look just like one of their parents. <laughs> you know, I went right. through that period where I wondered if I was adopted. I, I think it's funny. I think the, all teenagers go through this identity crisis where they're trying to figure out who they are, where they belong in the world. And your kids know right off the bat they were chosen. And in a way, that makes them special. Yeah, and that they had someone who loved them in the very beginning and said, you know, I can't do this right now, 
but I want to find the best spot for you. We talk about that all the time. Your birth parent made this amazing, heroic, selfless decision to mm-hmm. help you find the place where they thought you would be best cared for and loved, and that deserves a ton of respect. My children's birth moms are such an important, ongoing part of my kids' life. And any of them who we have information for who want to be involved in my children's lives absolutely are welcomed because of that. I love that. That is so special because what that does is that makes everything inclusive and that takes away any shame that a birth mother would have in giving up her child. Instead, you're honoring them. And that's a perfect place for us to take a quick commercial break. I love ending on a positive note, but don't leave yet because when we come back, we're going to talk about how Tess is doing now and what challenges she has faced considering her heart defect and some of the miracles that she's witnessed along the way. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today our topic is the miracles of adopting a child with a heart defect, and today's guest is Becky Katarkas. We just finished talking with Becky about the miracle of finding tests from a two-by-two-inch photo. I just love that story. And why Becky and Joe have chosen to adopt a special needs child. But let's learn a little bit more about Tess. Becky, let's talk a little bit more about Tess's heart defects. And can you tell us what surgery she's had and what she's gone through as far as her heart defects? Yeah, yeah, Tess is pretty amazing. So her technical diagnoses are a single ventricle defect, DTGA, so transposition of the greater arteries, and then subsequently, because Tess was living in an orphanage in China for the first 22 months of her life, she has a diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension from not having a correction surgery as early as most kids do who have these specific defects. So she's had two open heart surgeries since she's been with us, and she's been with us for almost three years now. She had the first surgery on her second birthday. She had the arterial switch, and then she had some pulmonary bands placed. And just last month, she had a biventricular repair to address her single ventricle. Oh, wow. She had a biventricular repair? She did. She did, yes. So now she has four chambers instead of just two? She does. She does. It was a pretty amazing miracle. Wow, that is a miracle. That does not happen with everybody, folks. A lot of children who start out single ventricle end up like my son and have a two-chamber heart instead of a four-chamber heart, and that puts a lot more stress on the heart. So if you can convert that heart to a four-chamber heart, Theoretically, it's much better for the child's heart. So, wow, congratulations to Tess. So that's definitely a miracle. You finding her from a two-inch by two-inch photo, that's a miracle. Wow, you have experienced a number of miracles with Tess, haven't you? Yes, her surviving the first 22 months of life with no intervention at all, none. She had no real access to medical care. Her making it home all that way on the 
plane ride making it here. Her lungs needed to heal and remodel. With a pulmonary hypertension diagnosis, it's not a given that you're going to be able to do Mm -hmm. any sort of repair, and you're not transplant eligible until the lungs are addressed. So we had to cross our fingers, hope, pray that we'd be able to remodel her lungs. It was an amazing miracle that that occurred. And then to find out, we traveled Boston and then back to Milwaukee where she was finally received her surgery to find out she is a candidate for a biventricular repair. Also a miracle. Wow, yes. Oh my gosh. And what a whirlwind experience for you and Joe to find this little girl, fall in love with her, discover that she has really a major heart defect. This is not something minor. It is a miracle that she survived 22 months. I'm thinking she probably had, did she not have a VSD or an ASD or some kind of holes in her heart allowing the blood to circulate without her being too blue? Yeah, she did. She also had that kind of backwards anatomy that was allowing a certain amount of mixing. Yeah. Right, right. So just like with my son, some of her heart defects actually compensated for each other and allowed her to live long enough for you and Joe to find her and bring her to the States where she could have the surgeries that she so desperately needed in order to survive. And now she has a four-chamber heart. Oh, my gosh, I'm near tears. This This is so amazing. It's amazing what can be done if these children who are waiting can get to medical care. It's amazing. So she's had two major operations with the arterial switch and the biventricular repair, and then you said the pulmonary surgery that she had? I'm sorry. Yes. Was that an additional surgery, or was that done while she had one of the other surgeries? Yeah, so when we did the arterial switch procedure on her second birthday, just eight weeks after joining our family, they put bands around her pulmonary arteries to help restrict the blood flow. And then we have medications here in the United States now that can help remodel some of the lung tissue. So for a year, year and a half, we waited, watched, prayed that her lungs would heal enough to allow us to move to the next stage of surgery. And they did which was amazing. Wow. Wow. Yes. I think the medication is a real miracle. I know so many friends who have had children who have pulmonary problems. And 20 years ago when Alex was born, there wasn't as much that could be done. Even back then, they did do the pulmonary banding and they did as much as they could surgically. But to know now that drugs are non-invasive, that's a much right. simpler way to try and solve a problem. And you can fine-tune it as the child gets older and as the child's needs change, whereas you don't want to have to keep opening up that chest and have the potential for infection and all the other kind of complications that you can have with an open-heart surgery. So, wow, this is just, it becomes more and more amazing. So tell me, are there any other miracles that you feel you and Joe have witnessed since you have had tests become part of your family? So when she first joined our family, because she had been uncorrected for so long, her development was so delayed. She couldn't swallow very well. She couldn't sit up steadily. She couldn't walk. She said one word. We thought to ourselves, oh, my gosh, we have this child that is so delayed. We may, in this instance, be parenting this child for the rest of our lives. We were ready for that. And today, at the age of almost four and a half, Tessa's, walking, talking, running, playing, totally developmentally on target 
four-and-a-half-year-old. To me, that wow. is the biggest miracle of all of this. That's a huge that, miracle. Yes, is that she, with the proper medical care, has been able to grow, thrive. And this is the story for so many kids who are waiting, 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 and then get access to care to give them well, the medical. To be, Yeah, but to be fair, it's not just the medical care. <laughs> the medical care helped her heart <laughs> a lot, but right. you have clearly put her in a loving, supportive environment. I imagine she has books and siblings who read to her and challenge her and are good role models for her and play with her. Children learn so much through play, and she has nine siblings to play with. Right. <laughs> she has, she has we, therapy all day long. <laughs> we always laugh and say that her best physical, occupational, and speech therapists live right in our house, right with us. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're I mean, especially if they're not talking. Right, right. One of the problems that you worry about is the siblings talking for the child or babying the child too much. But with nine of them, there's too much competition. <laughs> she has to learn to speak up for herself and to do things or else she's going to miss out. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. She's one of many, and she sees them and wants to make sure she can keep up. With the play, too. I want to be able to go down the stairs. I want to be able to reach this. I want to be able to pedal my bicycle like they are when they're out in the yard. So they're huge motivators for her, for sure. Right. But the fact that in two and a half years, she has gone from being extremely delayed, partly due to her heart defect. I'm sure with the severity of her heart defect, she wasn't able to move and to do the things that babies need to do in order to develop normally. And so for her to completely catch up in two and a half years, I agree with you. That is definitely a miracle and what a beautiful story well we have to take another quick commercial break but don't leave yet because when we come back in our last segment becky will tell us what she feels all adoptive parents should know and where they can get more information about adoption anna jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital heart defect events and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event go to heart to heart with anna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program. Keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well-connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit hearttoheartwithanna.com today. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today our topic is the miracles of adopting a child with a heart defect, and today's guest is Becky Katarkas. And we just finished talking with Becky about Tessa's heart defects and the miracles that she has been witness to and she has been partly responsible for. It really does leave me flabbergasted. We only have a couple minutes left, but I would love for Becky to tell us a little bit more about the adoption process. Becky, I loved how in your bio, you mentioned that you and Joe volunteer within the adoption community, helping prospective adoptive parents understand the beautiful brokenness of adoption. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. When we talk to adoptive parents, prospective adoptive parents, because we're this large, conspicuous family, so it comes up pretty often, (laughs) um, that's the way we describe it, as a beautiful brokenness. While amazing for Joe and I, my husband, this gift is amazing. Every day with our kids is just 
a miracle in and of itself, there is a certain amount of brokenness for them. There was trauma in their beginnings, and then they lost a lot. For my kids who are adopted internationally, they lost their language and culture that they began with, and for all my kids, they lost some connection to their biological family. So I think we as adoptive parents talk about that a lot, about the loss that comes with adoption. Mm-hmm. You don't really think about that, but it is a loss, and I'm sure there is a certain amount of grief, even if the children don't really have the mental faculty to articulate it. I'm sure there is that loss, and as they get older, maybe they feel or experience that loss a little bit more. When they see children, especially for these international children that you're talking about, when they see children who look like them, who maybe have something that they don't have because they aren't part of that culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we talk a lot about what our kids have lived through and experienced. Mm-hmm. So tell me, you have a big family. The picture that is on the slideshow and that I send in the e-card it shows a beautiful blended family, all different colors, all different sizes. So mm-hmm. how do you account for so many different cultural backgrounds? We maintain as many connections with our children's birth culture for our children who were born out of the United States as we can. So that means trips back to their homeland occasionally, but it also means maintaining cultural connections within the United States with people who are from their similar background. So for my kids who are from Ghana, we make sure to maintain connections with other Ghanaian Americans. The Chinese American community in the city we live in is large, and we make sure we are a part of that community as well. And then we make sure we are a part of the general adoption community, too, so that our kids always have someone from a similar background, from a similar culture, who came from a similar place and joined their family in a similar way as our kids have. That's so important for them to have that. Wow, I love that. I mean, it's just like a lot of us heart parents are also part of the heart defect community, and we do heart walks together, and there are different ways that we enable them to see other children who have scars like they do. What you're doing is you're making sure they see other people from the same culture and who have experienced adoption, which makes them not seem so unusual. I love that. That's fabulous. So can you tell us a couple of helpful websites where people who want to know more about adoption can go and learn more? Absolutely. So for general adoption information, I always refer people to the adoption agency that we use, love, trust the most. It's called the World Association for Children and Parents, and they have many, many different adoption programs. So while our last three adoptions have occurred through China, there are a ton of different programs, even domestic adoption, call, research, ask. They can help you with all that. They're www.wac.com. CAP.org, so www.wacap.org. For China-specific adoption information, we volunteer with a group called the Red Thread Advocates. We have a website, this group does, where we have a ton of information about China-specific adoption. China has thousands of kids on the wait list currently waiting for their families to find them, many, many of them with congenital heart defects. So for more information there, they're Red Thread Advocates, all one word, dot wordpress.com. And then so many people are interested in Joe's and my story and how we found our kids, Tess's journey. So if people are interested, we're fullplatemom.com. Okay, so spell that. Is it F-U-L-L-P-L-A-T-E? Mm-hmm, dot com. 
Yep. Full plate mom. Plate mom. Dot com. Okay. Dot com. Okay. And I will also have these available on the website. Full plate mom. You do have a full plate. I don't know I do. how you do it. <laughs> but it looks like you have a very happy, healthy, vibrant family. And I think that the fact that you're able to experience so many miracles, probably not just through tests, but probably through your other adopted children as well, just makes your life even more amazing. It does. It does. We are so incredibly blessed. It definitely looks like you have a blessed family. And I want to thank you again so much for coming on the show, Becky. Thank you so much, Anna, for having me. This was wonderful. I know. This was so much fun. I learned so much about adoption. Well, that concludes this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thank you for listening today. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. Follow our radio show on Spreaker and Blog Talk Radio. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. Music.